I'm Sean. Hi, I'm Jordana. And welcome to Meaningful Play, the podcast where we discuss our favourite medium, video games, and the cultural and social issues that surround them on individual and collective levels. So, this week on Meaningful Play, we're going to be discussing what has been an enduringly popular topic in games academia, and that is romance and sex. From media effects and moral panics to art and celebration, romance and sex have certainly had a contentious history in games. But before we dive into what will undoubtedly be an interesting topic, let's discuss what we've been playing this week. So, Sean, what have you been playing this week? Uh, so, I've finally got back into Overwatch. I haven't played for a really long time, um, basically just mostly because the time passes really fast when I play. So suddenly I'll be like, oh no, it's been two hours and I'm exhausted and I've got to go to bed. <laughs> it's kind of frustrating when the time goes too fast. Uh, but also, you know, I haven't actually played it that much since they introduced a new endorsement system. So I'm interested to sort of see how that plays out. Okay, so just explain to me what the endorsement system is. Not to put you on the spot, but what That's is okay. it? <laughs> so it's a system where when you finish uh, a match, you can vote people on your team and say things like, this person had really good teamwork or this person showed good leadership. And you get a point and you can level up. So it's basically like a niceness point, I suppose. You might. Oh, that's nice. Apparently, um, the amount of abuse has really plummeted since they've inputted this because you can. it's harder for people with lower rankings to get into matches. Um, it, it's sort of like a, rather than just have the stick approach, you know, just banning people who are being horrible, they'll also have the carrot approach where, you know, you can level up this um, endorsement level, you can get loot boxes when you do level up, it kind of just makes you look like a person you'd like to have on your team. Yeah, awesome. quite positive. That, yeah. that is really positive, I like that. Yeah. yeah. And I really got back into it because there's an event at the moment, so I call it story mode. It's like a special match that is available where it's you versus the computer. So I've been playing it with a few friends lately and it's a, it's a good opportunity I should try different characters because in these events they have certain characters that they recommend you try and you have to you know, do it on different difficulty levels to get different achievements and stuff. So I'm playing characters I wouldn't normally try. And um, yeah, it's it's been really nice to play with other people with the headset on and everything. It's been a while since I've played a game like that. So yeah, awesome. that's what I've been doing. Yeah. I've been playing a little bit of um, Dragon Age Inquisition as well. I played it for a good few hours a couple times, but <laughs> after my complaining about Origins, it is very open world-ish. It's got a bit too much filler for me right now. Like I'll sort of run around and do things and then I'll just get tired from it and a bit bored and I'll sort of pause and browse Reddit for 10 minutes or something and then get back to the game. So it's I think I'm finding it a, a bit repetitive compared to Origins just because it's another open world game. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm the same with open world games. I really have to be in a mood for them. It's just the sheer, how can you term it? Like, they're just so intimidating, right? Mm. You're just like, okay, I'm going to have to put this amount of time aside. And if I don't put that time aside and I let it go, then I'm going to have to revisit, if I want to revisit it, I'm going to have to relearn the systems again and... Yeah, that's a pain. Yeah, figure yeah. out like where everything is and exactly. go, oh, there's like empty spots on the map and it's just like, oh, I could not do that. I know. <laughs> it's funny how rusty you get. Like mm. even if you haven't played something for like a week, you're like, oh, well, how do I do this again? Mm, totally, mm. yeah. Yeah. Well, what about you? What have you been playing? Okay, so I've been playing Night in the Woods and Shadow of the Tomb Raider, both of which are so far excellent titles. I've heard of Night in the Woods. It's on my wish list, I think. Yes, it should be on the <laughs> wish list. So basically, Night in the Woods is an indie title developed by Infinite Fall, and it was released in January 2017. And it's a game that I've been really avidly wanting to play since I learned of it. So essentially, 
It follows the adventures of a college dropout and player character, May, um, who returns to a hometown, Possum Springs. <laughs> and cute. I know, it's, it's so cute. And basically the narrative seems to be sort of a mix of coming of age, even though May's 20, it's sort of like coming of age after, you know, going out into the world and sort of failing and then coming home and then having to rebuild yourself. So yeah, it's, still totally. got, it's like a rite of passage in a way. Also paired with this sort of uh, mystery Yeah, so there's a little, yeah, (laughs) yes, there's a bit of intrigue there. But really, um, I'm only an hour or two in, but the aesthetics, dialogue, and the mini games have very quickly become some of my favorites in recent years. Like, yeah. Is it kind of like a puzzle game? No, it's like a 2D scroller. Okay. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. So you're you're doing some detectiving? You sort of are, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it goes by, it's like a day sort of structure. May wakes up, you do things in Possum Springs, like maybe your friend has like messaged you and so you go to the store they work at and you make plans with them and, you know, you may come across certain like town characters and they have their own little subplots and you can help them as well. It's a really great game. Oh, it sounds cute. Yeah, it's really cute. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> so in terms of Tomb Raider, well, uh, this title, Shadow of the Tomb Raider, is the end of the rebooted trilogy, mm. and it doesn't really improve upon like, the preceding titles, but it doesn't really need improving. Like, I really enjoy playing as Lara. I really derive a lot of satisfaction from plant picking, tomb exploring, being a one-woman army, etc. <laughs> and the narrative <laughs> seems more dramatic than ever. But I think what I really en- am enjoying about Shadow of the Tomb Raider is actually playing Lara at a stage in her life where she's become totally desensitized to violence and ultimately the suffering of those around her, specifically the suffering of those in which have been impacted by her actions. So bringing Lara full circle. So instead of being a naive, inexperienced and like just generally lacking self-awareness, like as a 22-year-old archaeologist in, um, in the first title, which was Tomb Raider, it was 2013. She's now this seasoned, weathered, but ultimately lacking in self-awareness <laughs> woman in her mid-20s. So as someone who has played the previous games, uh, where Lara's absence of long-term thinking work could be e- like easily brushed away, it really can't in Shadow of the Tomb Raider, like absolutely impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, Lara isn't a villain in this title, but she's certainly not the most sympathetic of the protagonists either. So she's a bit ruthless. She's ruthless, she's Mm. far more complex, and I like that. But it is worth noting that I have seen a number of excellent critical pieces that discuss Tomb Raider in the context of colonialism, and that legacy certainly isn't challenged here. Okay, so so briefly, what's the setting or the story of this one? It is, it's South American. Mm -hmm. I mean, she they go through a few different ancient civilizations, you know what I mean? As the whole? As the whole, yeah. Yeah, It is based on, yeah, so it's like Aztecs, Mayans, etc. But yeah, so the colonial aspect of Lara's character isn't challenged. I mean, the legacy of like archaeology isn't challenged in this at all. So really, Lara's characterization is still quite flawed when being viewed through like other alternative or other frameworks. <laughs> mm. So yeah. you know, as you know, a white woman playing this game, you know, it doesn't really impact me. But if you were an indigenous person or a South American mm. person playing this game, you might be a bit like, well. I, I think I remember in Uncharted. Was it Lost Legacy, the one with the women in it? I haven't played Uncharted, okay. so. I think that that's right. Anyway, and I, I had a brilliant time playing it, and I guess I do remember a few quips being made in that game. Like the characters did point out things like, "Isn't it ridi- like crazy how like this." 
this thing that these people are doing will be considered acceptable because they're talking about archaeology and that. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, I think, I kind of appreciated that. So now going back with that kind of knowledge, it'd be interesting to see what you like perceive about it in terms of, yeah, like, are you making a critique about uh, yeah. like archaeology back then? Are you sort of saying it's fine? Are we, yeah, what's going on there? Exactly. And there's this this sort of, this construction of Lara versus the jungle almost, oh. at least in the part where I'm up to. There's definitely that, I guess, that divide between cultures and societies that are seen as primitive and then, you know, here comes the posh British <laughs> archaeologist. Mm. So, yeah, it, it's flawed. Fair but enough, at the same time, yeah. I am enjoying the game. Like, it's mm. a fun game, but just those representations. <laughs> a bit like Persona 5. Yes. <laughs> Okay, so I guess let's move on to our topic of the week, and uh, that's obviously romance and sex and games. So I'm going to ask you, Sean, how do you feel about romance and games more generally? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm super awkward. <laughs> Surprising not that many of my friends, I think. Um, I just get really uncomfortable. So... I know we've, we've talked about identification and effect in that uh, lately when we've been looking at games, and I think romance is kind of something that tends to push me out of that headspace. I feel really uncomfortable, and it feels like something that's happening to the character, and it's got nothing to do with me. Um, maybe partly because it is really hard to convey that kind of emotion, and I think I just go, I don't feel anything. This makes no sense. Um, and I think often it feels maybe a bit tacky, I suppose, like... Mm-hmm. I mentioned to you before how in Persona 5 I was thinking, like, I don't want to date any of these women. They're kind of, mm, I feel weird. This is strange and I don't like it. And you were saying, like, no, you should do the opposite. And, you know, and I kind of like that. Like, now I try to be a bit more open and try something not, not that I would normally try. Um, but in general, I do think I find relationships in games a bit awkward and they're a bit, the characters just are a bit too 2D and I just get a bit uncomfortable. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I must say, I do agree. I really find romancing games quite awkward. Uh, possibly, as we will discuss later, it's because I feel as if I'm really the individual that game developers are really thinking about when they, you know, implement romance in games and, you know, create romantic interests as characters in games. Uh, I don't think there's really been a character that I, as the player, have truly enjoyed romancing. Mm. Like, I find my own identification with the player character tends to break when any form of romance-focused gameplay or mechanics sort of occurs as these romantic interests just don't uh, appeal to me, they aren't designed for me. And as you were saying, a lot of these interactions feel very forced and, as you said, tacky. They feel generic. <laughs> yeah, I feel a bit They feel silly. emancipated from you know, the rest. It's like, okay, people want romance. Let's chuck in this little, like, romance system or functionality in order to appease, you know, the heterosexual white gamer that's going to be playing this game. I guess not always, I suppose. Like, I'll talk a bit about Dragon Age and stuff a bit later, but, yeah, in general... Yes, historically yeah. at least. Yes, It definitely. is changing, as yeah. we will discuss as well. I, th- I feel like I am being a bit unfair in the sense that romance isn't the genre that appeals to me. I guess I find it awkward. I'm not really appreciative of it because it, romance isn't a genre in any medium that is no. really something that I seek out. And yet it's something that is so inherent to the human condition in yeah, a way. Yeah, I'm kind of, now you've pointed that out, I'm kind of the same. Like I don't really read romantic, I read books where like it's a fantasy book and there's a grand adventure. And yes, romance can be part of that and relationships can be part of that. And they should be part of that because yes, it's part of the human experience. But I'm generally not really into things that revolve around 
those kinds of relationships, yeah. I suppose. I think in a game, often I feel like I'm so focused on, all right, this is what I'm doing. We have to save the world. You know, this is my this is my goal for the game. That the romances do feel I, in real life. I would be like, no, no, no. We have more important things to do. We are not doing this right now. <laughs> you, yes. know? you stay like true to your goal, which maybe is part of it as well. Perhaps <laughs> you just made me think about fan fiction. And when I used oh. to read fan fiction, but it always be like, the context would have to be if it was like you know some kind of like ship or pairing. You know, there has to be some story around it. It can't just be like a random encounter. No, it has to make. sense. It has to make sense. Yeah. Has to be well written. I mean, some people like those sort of like one shot mm. like types of fix and that's fine but yeah you need a story yeah you I need a bit of context you I do think, yeah you do okay <laughs> <laughs> okay so moving on and i'm gonna leave this with you because i'm going to be discussing <laughs> the sex section but <laughs> um how is romance in games really discussed in academic literature are there any scholars that focus specifically on romance in games? And what issues or concerns are such scholars typically interested in? Now, don't feel as if you need to answer all those questions <laughs> separately, but just generally. I guess so. I have to admit that uh, romance and sex isn't necessarily an area in game studies that I particularly look at. But there was a book chapter that I got really stuck into and I found really interesting. Uh, by Nicholas Ware, and it's called um, Iterative Romance and Button Mashing Sex, Gameplay Design and Video Games. And I guess, yeah, the focus here I suppose is on sex, but what's kind of interesting is how romance is or is not part of that ultimate obtaining of sex, I suppose. So Ware basically, he says, look, players tend to press this action button around objects or to interact with NPCs, and that's how you access content. Like, of course, that makes sense to us, right? Uh, and he kind of says, look, but in terms of romance and sexuality, these things are kind of the opposite of a menu-based system or flipping a switch. He's sort of like, that doesn't make sense for sex and romance because it isn't so simple as I walk up and talk to you, press the button. It's so simple, right? He says, look, the same sequence of romantic actions doesn't necessarily lead to the same outcome, even with the same individual. So that's why this button mashing technique doesn't make a lot of sense. But that's what a lot of games do, right? So he says that the problem here is that sex becomes a reward for players when they make their correct choices. And at the same time, incorrect choices aren't really deterrent because the player can just reload and try again. Okay, this is kind of interesting. I, I get where you're coming from. And then he talks a bit about nice guy syndrome and he says that game, a lot of games do have this nice guy syndrome basically because of this process. And that's basically a situation where certain men feel that if they do lots of nice things for certain women or they like provide those women with emotional support or something, then they're entitled to have sex with those women because they've demonstrated that they are nice guys, so they deserve some kind of thing in return. So yeah, basically he's saying that in certain games, players are sort of taught to behave in a certain way. They say, if I do this, then I'll get that. And, and I guess this book chapter made me think a bit about Bogos and his procedural rhetoric, because mm -hmm. he basically says procedural rhetoric is, and I'm quoting here, the art of persuasion through rule-based representations and interactions, rather than the spoken word, writing images or moving pictures. So basically, games are interesting because the rhetoric, what you can and can't do, is dictated by rules. So Bogos also says, in terms of games, he says that games teach biased perspectives about how things work and that the way they teach these perspectives is through procedural rhetoric and players read that through engagement and criticism. So I suppose if we looked at this nice guy syndrome in terms of what Ware's talking about, how, okay, we got to a carry down, we do these things and then we get sex as a reward, it's possible to argue that certain games do contain this procedural rhetoric where they're telling you this is how the world works. 
And most importantly, that in that procedural gap that exists, that those players that hold those views are almost getting a personalised experience where they're not going to reject the rhetoric that is presented. They're going to feed right into it. Yeah, because you're like, this yeah. is great. Exactly. <laughs> this is working for me really well. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. It's a good point. Yeah, so, I, <laughs> so I, yeah, I guess that isn't the most broad outlook of, response to this question, but that's just something I found really interesting. And That is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I don't really have much to add about how romance is discussed in academia. I think that we discuss Mia Consalvo's sort of seminal piece in the next section, mm. which um, also goes into romance. But I think generally the way that romance is sort of sort of conceptualised in game studies at the moment in terms of popularity is probably applying those feminist and queer perspectives to romance and sort of pointing out that the way that romance is constructed in games is heteronormative yeah, in it tends nature. To be, yeah. Now there's more and more variation, which is great, but yeah, we'll get to that. We'll we will, that we will. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's move on specifically to sex and games. So loaded question, how do we feel about depictions of sex and games? more broadly (laughs) (laughs) I guess look like with the romance thing I'm a massive prude (laughs) and I'm like this for film and tv I just find sex scenes really uncomfortable and I I, look I hope it doesn't make me seem immature because sometimes I worry it kind of does (laughs) no I, I just feel like I'm watching a porno and I feel really uncomfortable especially like if I'm playing a game with Harris we're just kind of looking at each other looking at the screen and we're just going oh this is weird and it just feels strange I mean it's kind of, I feel the same about film and TV in that I feel like you could, if you just point out what's happening and then we know what's happening, we understand for the story, we can move on. I just feel really awkward when I see way too much. Yeah, <laughs> I must say I am the same. I'm going to have to go with the A word again and label, you know, such <laughs> such interactions and really scenes as I find that a lot of, you know, the sort of sexual interactions we have with games, you know, you're not actually controlling the player character, at least in AAA, that tends to be a reward of such for completing an action or, you know, if you're playing something like The Witcher 3 or, you know, Grand Theft Auto series, then you're paying for a prostitute and, you know, receiving that imagery as a form of reward. I must say, though, I feel like... Even with games that have actually attempted to rival film and TV, such as Quantic Dreams, Heavy Rain, and that famous sort of sex scene that it has uh, in the chapter on the loose. So yeah. basically, Ethan Mars, the primary player character, has been undergoing these trials. He is completely and utterly shattered at this point. <laughs> and in roles Madison Page, the journalist and also player character that is profoundly framed in terms of the male gaze, comes into the apartment and they talk, they sort of settle their issues, and then the player has the choice of kissing Madison as Ethan. So it's important to note you are not Madison in this scene, you're Ethan. And then, yeah, so you can ensue a quick time event. (laughs) (laughs) I also get really awkward when in the TV and film is is just as bad as this as games. But sometimes I'm kind of like, this is you're in a stressful situation right now. Is that really what you want to do? Or like if the girl's upset somehow, like this happens in TV all the time. If like the girl's upset, they'll be like, no, it's time for sex. And I'm kind of like, is what? I know. (laughs) That's not normal, right? And I find this quite often. I know. Particularly when your your child has been taken by the origami killer (laughs) yeah it seems very out of place i suppose it is very out of place very very much so (laughs) 
Oh my gosh. And I mean, you know, he's receiving on the mobile, he has images of poor Sean, you know, in the <laughs> gutter, having water slowly, you know, fill the drain in which he is, you know, encaged. Time for sex. Honestly. Yeah, priorities, you know. <laughs> but yeah, that's a bit of an immersion breaking um, instance is. in that sense. But also, the scene is just, it's completely awkward. It's just pixels mashing. <laughs> It is. It's just, it, it doesn't quite, it's almost like Uncanny Valley, but it's just so ridiculous that <laughs> it goes beyond even that. You're just like, I, my immersion has been broken. Mm. You know, this this just feels like it's been thrown in. And it, it's the same with film and TV. It's just like HBO, right? Uh, like, yeah, apparently HBO used to be a porn channel, someone told me, ages ago. And I was like, oh, that explains so much. <laughs> it does. Yeah, yeah. It was even in the like recent Game of Thrones season eight, okay. episode one, the um, premiere. Okay. It was even in the Game of Thrones season eight, episode one, the premiere, like just waiting for HBO to spread its wings and just produce all these scenes that contain... Like, mm. Tits and ass, essentially. <laughs> T and A. And it did. It had one scene at least. Jeez. So, I mean, it wasn't necessarily out of place, but at the same time, like, I guess I'm the same as you. I'm just like, what does this contribute to the overall plot of what is happening and the goal yeah. of the characters and in I which... Think, sorry, I, 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 I think it makes me feel a bit creepy and voyeuristic because it's yes. sort of like, I don't... Like, now I feel like a creeper. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, quality whingy voice too. It's like, I feel creepy. I don't want to feel creepy. It's, it feels yeah. creepy too because quite often it's not your own gaze, right? Like going back to like Laura Mulvey and, you know, thinking about the male gaze, like very rarely do you feel like, I don't, I mean, because obviously it, it depends on the individual, but very rarely do I feel as if those scenes are created for me. Yeah, it doesn't feel like, You know, it's yeah. all about male pleasure. It's a bit like in porn, how it is very explicitly mm. the male gaze. But moving on, moving on. So... <laughs> I guess, what is the history of sex and games? Because this is where a lot of sort of discussion about sex and games really is Yeah, there's a lot of history. From. There yeah. is a lot of history. Um, do you want to yeah. elaborate first? Um, well, I've put, like, I've put together a short and very brief and not c- totally uh, complete in any stretch of the imagination mm-hmm. sort of overview. So generally, you know, there's the tendencies in how women are depicted in games. So, like, f- things like female characters tend to be sexualized and in secondary roles. And I really hope this doesn't come across as me not thinking about queer issues and that, but generally the history of sex and games is very much about female characters being exploited and yeah. about porn made for straight men with women in it. So mm-hmm. that's so a lot of this is very much about women. Um, yeah, and things are getting better, but the stats still aren't brilliant. And there's a lot of research that looks into men and women's beliefs about women and then treatment of women after playing games that depict them in kind of sexualizing ways. So there's some kind of work from media effects in there that talk about that. Um, Of course, porn games have been around forever because it's porn and that's what humans do. <laughs> uh, and But there have been some particularly problematic ones like Custer's Revenge, it's a 1982 Atari game. It's disgusting. It's a player who is made in the image of some figure from history and he's, the aim of the game is to rape a Native American woman who is tied to a pole. So 
Okay, I read an article on this recently. Ah. So by Payne and Ali Lunas, 2016, Regulating the Desire Machine, Custer's Revenge and 8-Bit Atari Porn Games. Uh, it actually discusses how discourse surrounding the crude sex, see like adult games that appeared on the Atari in the early 1980s, fed into popular discourses surrounding pornography at the time and how these games didn't really reflect sex. Rather, mm. Payne and Ali Lunas conclude by noting that these really just incorporate the quote idea end quote of sex as opposed to actually implementing procedural elements that would facilitate the simulation of sex. What is really interesting about their article though is that they conclude by sort of saying at the end of the day this didn't actually impact the public's perception of sex. They didn't care that these games you know were crude. Mm. They didn't care that it was basically just you know a skin, a theme mm. so to speak. Basically if sex is in a game then you know that's bad. Okay. So moral panic. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's interesting because for me, like, I'm like, yeah, sex games exist, all right, if you want to play them, all right. It's the context, like, the fact that, yeah, for specifically for this game, I suppose, it's the fact that you're raping someone. You're raping a Native American woman and she's tied to a pole. Like, it's sort of, yeah, like, the fact that these sex games exist and, yes, it is, like, a hilarious, like, not hilarious. It is a very crude imitation of sex. But it's more the context that's problematic, I suppose. It is. Yeah. And it was really interesting as well. Like, it is sort of well known, but the developers of uh, Costa's Revenge, and there were two other games as well that, unfortunately, I didn't write their names down, but, you know, they're quite crude. Okay. Um, for Costa's Revenge, they bought in as, like, a group to play the game, a women's group and an Indigenous group. Okay. So did they say what? We they did not like that, obviously. Yeah. But I found that I'm just like, I was amazed. I'm like, how did these developers not see what was wrong with these games? And also, if they got negative feedback, they clearly didn't act on it. They so didn't. So it's kind no. of irrelevant anyway. Yeah, no. Crazy. Because they wanted to, so basically at the time, the developers who are owned by a company that basically had done pornography recently was oh. wanting to get in on that market. So this is obviously... I don't want to say the beginning of video games, but it's pretty bloody close. So the first thing they do is the most probably the mo one of the most problematic things they could have done. Yeah, yeah. So basically, they just wanted to get the foot in the door of the adult game market wow. and become the dominant force within that. And so they created those games. That's fascinating. There's, there's a lot of Atari. Like, I mean, there's a lot of porn games. Full stop. But Atari does seem to be particularly interesting. It is, and Atari actually sued the developers of Custer's Revenge Ooh. and the like because. They didn't do it on the basis of the content because I believe in American law there's some little uh, there was some issue they couldn't go for that they didn't want their trademark so Atari they didn't want to be associated with those games because yeah. there was such an outcry wow. so there was actually there's actually this whole history about Custer's Revenge and the authors Payne and Ali Lunas actually say in like their introduction that Custer's Revenge is often presented as like this footnote in video game history but actually there was a whole hoo-ha it's massive yeah, yeah it wasn't about, like there was no yes, drama about it yeah. right? people weren't happy they yeah. weren't happy yeah, yeah. atari responded <laughs> yeah interesting because yeah. there's other ones i've heard of there's like a um some kind of one where I've, i can't remember the name of it but there's like it's an atari one i think maybe a bit later than that but it's like a bunch of teenage girls at a sleepover and something something like there's a burger in the house and you're like the boy next door and you're you're, you have, like, cameras set up in their room and you're supposed to be helping them supposedly, like, escape the burglar, but really you're watching them in, like, these weird <sighs> sexual positions. Yeah, so, like, it's, it is interesting because you can see people went, oh, we can have porn games, and they got kind of excited and had this huge <laughs> range of games. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> but but after that, you know, I mean, there's games like Bayonetta, which is super debatable. Like some people are fine with it. Some say it's really sexist. I haven't played it, but I've like done some reading and like looked at it and stuff. And basically, you're this sexy witch who uses her hair to cast spells, as I understand it. So she loses her hair to cast spells, but that's her clothing. <laughs> her hair is her clothing. So. Yeah, we can go nude. Um, I won't go into these kinds of games too much because uh, you'd be here for days. And, like, I think a lot of people know them already. Yeah. There's, like, Dead or Alive or even just fighting games in general. You yeah. know? And I think we've mentioned this before, but the sexy outfits in horror games, like in Fatal mm-hmm. Frame. I think Silent Hill has it, I think. It does in Silent Hill 3 with Heather. Oh, yes. Okay, yeah. yeah. There's, and, like, Fatal Frame's got, like, there's a really good, there's gorgeous outfits where they're in kimono because you're in, like, an old, beautiful Japanese mansion. But then, of course, there's also the main ones where your bum's nearly covered. You know, like, it's so, yeah, it's yeah. sad. <laughs> I always think of Rebecca from Resident Evil mm. Zero. Yeah, some of her outfits are particularly fan service Oh, dear. Yeah. And look, it's, and fan service is a great word because it basically it's, it's kind of worth pointing out that these are Japanese games, that mm-hmm. like this whole category, and... It's all about a male player with yeah, having this male gaze that we keep talking about. Far Cry 3 is kind of famous. I didn't get this far in the game, but apparently there's what they call a queen of the natives who's an indigenous woman on this island. And she's beautiful. Like she has all this body pain and stuff, but of course it's the presentation is quite stereotypical and yeah, yeah, in terms of what she looks like. Fetishization? Yeah, fetishization. It's fetishization. Yeah, that's exactly, yeah. Oh. I, like indigenous or native women yeah i'm pretty oh. sure sarkeesian mentions her in one of her videos um yeah so like if you're a male character you can't be female because that would be too hard for the developers apparently like they actually <laughs> said this um so as a male character you have sex with her and you get her magical powers and it's kind of like kind of even worse because she's meant to be incredible and amazing because she's got these amazing powers and she takes her whole lifetime to have control over these powers and you suddenly have control of over them after you bang her once and um there's also games like Jute Nukem Forever so I played the old like the old Jute Nukem on the DOS back when I was a kid and like thought it was great and good fun like I'm talking 2D yeah yeah <laughs> um so when the new one came out I was like oh this would be interesting and it's it's really strange I was kind of interested in reading about it because it's kind of being satirical and it's trying to be satirical but it's actually not quite there and it's kind of really problematic there's heaps of like brutal reviews on it but yeah like there's like the older games used to be more satirical and laugh at that extreme masculinity but in this one there's too many things that are kind of problematic like there's some kind of multiplayer mode called capturing the babe where you like carry a woman on her shoulder instead of capturing the flag and you like spank her to make her shut up and stuff. And there's like certain parts of the game, like certain levels where there's like boobs on the wall and they're like, yeah, you can touch these boobs. It's just very strange. Sounds very juvenile. Yeah, it's a juvenile kind of humour and it's, yeah, it's, the reviews are basically saying like it's not even really that satirical, it just comes across as really denigrating and not, yeah. Yeah. Dating sims or visual novels are super interesting to me. Like, I haven't played much. I started playing um, the one you recommended, uh, Doki Doki Literature Club. Oh but I haven't gosh. got very far, but I'm, but it's, I'm still playing. <laughs> I don't know if that it is definitely a dating sim, but obviously it has that, that horror twist to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Very different, right? It is. Because most of the ones I've played are, like, Had Off a Boyfriend, which is, mm-hmm. like, I call it Saint Pigeonations. It's the one where, like, you're at a school for pigeons and you date them. It's hilarious. And I heard about one at PAX, I hope I'm saying this right, called Panzo Models. And it's the same thing, except, like, they're meant to be tanks. 
It's really strange. So I've mostly, personally, I've mostly only played parody dating sims, and I think they're hilarious and super fun. But in general, they're kind of interesting because there's a huge, huge area of these games, right? Like, there's Bishojo games, so like a male character dating women, Atome, which is a female character dating male characters, and BL, or boys love games, so uh, gay ones. Mm -hmm. But it tends to be not a category for women, which is a whole other thing altogether. But, you know, they're also very, really wildly, like, some are kind of sweet or what you consider to be ordinary dating sims, like, being nice to people. But, you know, some of them are also really intense, as I think we know. And I read this uh, article by Taylor, and she kind of points out, like, a lot of the really intense ones contain a lot of tropes that come from anime and manga. So, like, bondage, rape, incest, and enemas. What is enemas? Uh, an enema is a medical procedure where you have water go up your backside. It's to like, clean you out. I don't... <laughs> Not what I was expecting. <laughs> yeah, so apparently that's a, that's a category, which is... I was so... I felt blessed to learn this information. Um, yeah, and then she kind of points out that in a lot of these games, like, the male characters are, are a bit like empty shells and they don't show much emotion, which made me think a bit about Persona 5 because of Joker. And also it allows the what they assume to be, you know, a male gamer to be able to, like, yeah, identify. Yeah, they're empty. They're empty yeah. so you can put yourself... Yeah, yeah. 100%. And, like, the female characters vary a lot in terms of personality and appearance. Like, they're quite, like, this is the shy one, this is the loud one, you know, that sort of thing. They also tend to be really submissive, and she kind of points out they tend to be, like, dolls or slaves. It's all quite creepy. Um, and she kind of points out that shoujo, which is the word that generally means like teenager, young girl, like we have shoujo magazines, like magazines yeah. for young girls, but that's often used in these games in a way that means like young and inexperienced. And yeah, so <laughs> I kind of, I did a little bit of research on this. So I found this visual novel database because I just like to look at things that will confront me. <laughs> and you can have a look at the tags and see what's popular. And look, like it's interesting. And I mean, I'm constantly in two minds about this because I'm like, well, Everybody has freaky deaky fantasies and, you know, it's fiction and stuff, but also some of the things on there are obviously pretty horrific. So, you know, it's a kind of makes you really question what you think you're okay with because there's a hell of a lot of rapey dating sims with male and female victims, which is also really interesting. I'm sure another time we'll talk about fan fiction and how yes. a lot of women write gay fan fiction. And, this, yeah, the sexual content page has all these subtags and it's pretty intense. Yeah, it, it sounds intense, and I always go back to Dojinshi, you know, those sort of fanfic visual novels yes. made by sort of aspiring manga artists usually. Uh, yeah, and they have such dark storylines and just, yeah. just totally out there sort of themes, as you were saying, like, I think a, a big one I've seen pop up recently, and maybe this is just the internet, but have you ever heard of Vore? Oh, the guts and the viol- and violence? It's like when you want to literally eat someone. Oh, no, that's not what I was thinking <laughs> at all. There's all this fan art Why online would... of, like, round characters. <gasps> that, okay, so yeah. <laughs> okay, so every now and then on DeviantArt, like, not that I go on there anymore because it's kind of got a bit naff, but I kn- when it started going naff, I noticed there were all these drawings, and they were honestly like a balloon. Like, they were literally yes. spheres, and they had little arms and legs. Yes. Oh, yes. so they've eaten someone. They've eaten someone, and usually they'll have like a pick of the someone in the belly. <laughs> <laughs> or an, uh, now I visual. know. <laughs> now you know. Wow. Yeah, so some people actually have a kink for war. 
this stuff is so I morbidly fascinating. <laughs> it is, it is. But I always go back to these, like, just surreal and, like, ridiculous themes that, you know, these sort of, I guess this fan or fan sure. art, like, produces and, you know, is available in, like, a semi-professional way. You know, yeah. these manga artists are quite good, almost as good as the people that actually do produce, you know, like, professional manga, sure, so sure. to speak. So it's it's disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> that you know, these people obviously have their own, like, fan bases or you know are making money as you know amateur creators of this content well it's funny but then again there's a market for it well yeah this is the thing right it's a it is professional as a market like yeah and it's funny you say this stuff about dojinshi because this kind of makes me think about mods for games and that right so i kind of did some investigation a while ago for my thesis and looked a bit at some of the mods available for like skyrim and the witcher and that and like I have to laugh, right? You just ha- you have to laugh. There's things like big big butt big boob Yennefer. <laughs> they called this, and like for for Yen for Siri for Tris, obviously. There's some that do it to all female characters. There's some that have like, yeah, and there's some that make all the female characters nude or like provide alternative outfits. And in particular, the Skyrim ones for that. And like, look, there there are some. I did check. There are some for male characters as well. Like one, like it literally makes Geralt not wear undies and. It's all photorealistic, apparently, and and there's some in Skyrim for the same thing. Like, so it's kind of interesting, but you know, it's not on the same, nowhere near on the same scale as it is for female characters. I like, mm-hmm. I just have to laugh when I'm looking at these things, but obviously, it's not great. It's in that, not, and like, I mean, when you think about modding, you have to go back to like hot coffee. So uh, the mini game in Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. So originally, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't in the actual game. But it was on the disc in the files. And yeah. so obviously when the modding community got hold of the disc, they started sorting through those files and they found the minigame, made a utility tool in order to access the game and then moral panic ensued. <laughs> that just made me think about recently we haven't really had that. Like, Have we become as a society so used to the internet and digital technologies and what they sort of afford in terms of what you can consume in terms of content mm. that we just sort of accept that these things exist and that it's more about prevention, particularly with like children and yeah. like, I guess, protecting yourself from those I think there's there was already a lot of more panic about GDA already, I suppose. Yes. So I guess this maybe this was sort of um, the tipping point that sort of made people really freak out about it. Exactly. Possibly. That's a good point. I mean, Rockstar rise of controversy, mm-hmm. right? You know, that's mm-hmm. their primary marketing tool in a way. And, and also, you know, when I when I think about these, like I like obviously the mods are on my mind because I just that's what has been what I've just mentioned, but. I'll, there is more power in players now, so you, so, you know, so the people who make the game are like, well, people did this, we didn't do it, so maybe that's also something that's worth. That's true. Thinking about. I mean, that's certainly true, like, going back to us and how we identify and what we sort of talked about in the identification episode uh, in regards to, you know, putting aside those uh, sort of undesirable elements of games or mechanics in games or, you know, narrative points in games and still being like, actually, I enjoy this game, but, yeah. you know, that common phrase. Totally. Like, and that's, I think that's part of any media nowadays. You can say, like, there's certain true. parts of books I didn't like, but I liked the rest, you know. It's just something that you can't expect necessarily to be happy with everything. So, I, But, yeah, you're right. In particular with games, there does seem to be a bit of give and take with Gender representation and blah, 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 all that sort of thing. Totally agree. 
Okay, so it seems like we've already hit, you know, the time limit on this episode <laughs> and we've really just discussed um, how we feel about romance and sex and games and a bit of the history. So we're going to leave it here today, but next episode will be the part two in which we discuss more explicitly the academic literature focused on sex and games and how it is constructed, as well as examples about our favourite romances and how we sort of want sex and romance to be presented in the future or depicted in the future yeah definitely and i'm excited to tell you my story about alistair from dragon age 2 so look forward to that one i'm excited (laughs) (laughs) okay thank you goodbye see ya